My name's Tracy Smith. I was born and raised in Kalamazoo, Michigan. In 1998, I attended the South by Southwest Film Festival in Austin, Texas. And at a promotional side event at a local coffee house, I saw a showcase featuring some of the most talented performance poets in the country. Afterwards, I returned home and founded the Kalamazoo Poetry Slam. Now, almost 25 years later, for the sake of history, for the sake of nostalgia, and for some of the incredibly talented people we've lost along the way, I give you, dear listener, the Keizu Poetry Slamcast. This is Slam Poem. Later, like, the poems are like, you dirty fucking whore. But this is one of the good ones from the beginning. My ears reach in the suburban noise of night. There's a question asked in one naked moment that never crossed into I am the Smith. I am the poet. I am the Industrial Revolution. No longer bright as fireflies. No the sweet nature of the future and the reasons that we sing. This week's Keizu Slamcat is part four of our SummerSlam Invitationals that was recorded in summer of 2001. Poets from Ann Arbor and Detroit and Chicago and Kalamazoo and Grand Rapids came and camped in my backyard and drank beer, performed some poetry in preparation for the 2001 National Poetry Slam that took place in Seattle, Washington. There are a couple glitches in the recording you might notice. I apologize for that. I don't know if it was a defective compact disc or if it happened in storage over the past 20 years or so. But there are a couple of spots, just brief moments where the recording, you know, fucks up. But I don't think it's too distracting. I also noticed in my, while I was doing the uh, final sound edit for this episode, that during my goodnight spiel at the very end, I announced that Michelle Peters is going to be performing at the next show, which means I fucked up the timeline again, because I I believe that show was episode 22. At least I got the year right. I knew I knew it was 2001. But anyway, minor fuck-upperies aside, it's a pretty good show, and I think you're going to enjoy it. She said... To breathe is not enough to live is not enough to love. Well, baby, sometimes that's just not enough. Still a thousand nights we've fallen shy, just trusting these sheets to that floor. And I see mouths inside of ears, and I think we've been parading in these sour little anthems. But I still got fingerprints in motion, see? Like all these angels about the atmosphere, no doubt she's calling out that falling is the only thing that holds me here. You see, I need a woman like I need another shadow. It's a little uncanny, this whole, I got a headache affair while she ran up to the store, pretending accidents instead of all these incidents. I said, take my hand. She said, baby, I crave, but I don't think there's room enough for all of this. Sickness fits right into the world, and all these falling parts are filling up the place. Well... Mrs. Jekyll settles into heckling with that laugh she gets. You know that one she gets when she's a little nervous? Too tough. She's got this frequent tendency, and it makes it just a little too tough for me to tend her. And I don't want to be just this, undressed and treading in the shallow depths, but I thought I had something beautiful in the doorway. But I guess it was just my imagination. Running in off someplace on the balcony, lost someplace off on holiday, stone like love, likes its drugs. Well, we've been stoned the whole day long. 
while stepping into enchantment, the way friendships still catching up to glasses, guessing drinks, and I can't believe it ain't raining, but baby, it sure feels a lot like water. Yeah, she had a way with words, you see. She'd say things just like that. She'd say things like, hey, hey, I got an idea. Why don't you take your great big imagination, take a little time, try real hard to pretend I'm away, taking some time on vacation. Couldn't you use a little time away? A little self-realization? A little vacation? Yeah, she had a way with words, you see. She'd say things like, Water hardly seems to hold much weight these days. So I'm getting on an airplane in the morning. I am never coming back. Oh, but somehow, despite this hopeless helpfulness, I try to just let her be. She's probably off someplace in the hallway juggling shadows. See, probably laughing again. I think I hear her laughing. You know what that laugh that she gets when she's a little bit nervous? She's too tough. Other times she's a little too tender. She's got this frequent tendency that makes it just a little too hard for me to tend her. Thank you. All right, Jim. Today I'm strolling the streets of Dayton swapping stories with a fellow wordsmith. We're painting pictures of our childhood dances with words. For him, words on pages tumbled and twisted like so many mad monkeys. You see, he's dyslexic. But for me, it was backwards. I danced with autism. My earliest memory, two years old, beating my head against the floor until light spangled white behind the screens of my eyelids because I had no words of my own. They were locked down tight in the basement of my brain, and I struggled in vain, trying to beat, claw, kick, snarl, howl the elusive key loose as I thrashed against the cage of my silence. Until a moment I wish I could remember. Three years old on the bathroom floor at 3 a.m., my mother pulling her threadbare exhaustion around her like a bathrobe as I launched my young frustration into yet another whirlwind of wordless fury and she, too heartsick and tired for anything else, simply absorbed my beats, claws, kicks, snarls, howls, wrapping her weary arms around me, trapping my tiny, silent rage against her and rocking me, and rocking me, and rocking me and repeating the only mantra she could think of to soothe the bone-raw desperation of her pent-up child, I love you. And the first set of tumblers clicked into place, freeing howls into sobs as my cage door swung open, sending me on my way to speech. Six calm months and many sentences later, I'm nested in the shabby recliner, clutching the dime store cardboard of a golden book because now I am in love with the mysterious freedom of words. I know this one well because I constantly pad about with outstretched arms offering up books and please read a favorite flavor in my delicious new vocabulary. In this story, Goofy manages to serenade the animals at the zoo to sleep who had previously been thrashing against their cages. 
And to this day, I can taste the exact moment that those mystical black squiggles lurking beneath the pictures tumbled and twisted like so many mad monkeys and slid into glorious meaning, and I could read. Tonight, I'm in a bathroom, in a bar, in Dayton, three minutes away from three minutes on stage, and I'm sending my words spiraling to Bridget, goddess mother of smiths, poets, and healers, and as I open my mouth to the mic and the words come tumbling and twisting out, 30 years of pent-up language bursting out of its cage like it never has before, I realize with light spangled white behind the screens of my eyelids that the only difference between autistic and artistic is you and are. You are. I am. I am the smith, I am the poet, I am the healer. Building word by word by word those mystical black squiggles that tumble and twist into the poems I have freed from the basement cage of my brain. Wrapping their healing arms around and rocking and loving a three-year-old on a bathroom floor at 3 a.m. How do the judges feel about that? I have four scores. And our first timer's taking his time. Well, that's all good. That's all good. We'll just start throwing stuff. Don't worry about it. All right, we have all five. I have a 9.0. Please leave them up till I'm done, all right? We have an 8.8, .8, a 9.9, .9, and is that dyslexic? Am I dyslexic or are you? A 9.6, and a 10 for Carrie Warlow. Ooh, I like starting out with those 10s earlier in the round. 28.5. 28.5 for Carrie Warla. Keep it going for our next poet up, Matt Ernst. You can't eat love. Cardavino, the philosopher, tells me that you can't eat love. I often find him drooling in the corner when I come through the door waiting to tell me something, the spit swinging from his beard. He tells me that man exists only to create an endurable past for himself. He also tells me that the two main things ruining America are miracle whip and fluorescent lights, and that one ice cube in a glass looks lonely. Two ice cubes in a glass look confused. It is perfect to have three ice cubes in a glass. Cardavino is an angry man sometimes. He gets angry while taking leaks, bursts through the bathroom door, his cock hanging from his boxer shorts, urine splashing on his trousers. He returns to his corner, leaving a trail of piss on my carpet. I told Buntington, he says, Buntington, I hate your goddamn guts. Not even you, Buntington, can interpret my farts, so stop trying. Buntington is the philosopher people take that much more seriously than Cardavino. I cannot seem to get Buntington off my back, Cardavino says. Even when the philosophers are listed alphabetically, Buntington is always that much nearer to the top. But Cardavino looks at it philosophically, throwing rocks at Buntington's window, spray-painting pig in phosphorescent orange paint on Buntington's car doors. 
The point is, Cardavino tells me, the spit drying up, is that you can rub up against it, suck it, stick your organs into it, ask it for rent money, even take it seriously as it wipes its ass, but you can't eat it. You starve before that. You eat it, they throw you in jail. I listen intently, put one ice cube into my whiskey glass, then another, then I reach into the freezer for the third. That was Matt Ernst. The entire crew has vanished, and for all I know, they are probably dead. Me and Cameron are the only survivors, and I'm not sure how much longer I can hold on. Lost at sea in a sinking ship, miles from anything resembling anything other than water. A 45-foot wave crashes over the starboard rail, threatening to break this boat in two. I spit out salt water and choke on the wind. Another wave hits the boat, and then come the sharks. We are surrounded. Cameron takes out one with the harpoon gun and another with the sword. I toss grenades blindly into the blue and watch the meat explode into the sky. But when I turn around, one of the bastards finally gets to me. It is tearing off my arm. I think things can't possibly get any worse. But Cameron finds a way to hit me with even more bad news. I can't find my driver's license, he yells. What? I can't find my driver's license and I can't find my keys. Well, where are they? I think they're in the truck. Well, why don't you go get them? Cameron runs across the water to the truck. It is a 99 Dodge Dakota and a woman with red hair hands him his license and his keys. He is screaming, we got to get this stuff to the bank. Well, what about the sharks? No, we got to get the stuff to the bank. We will outrun them. Now... There's something you should know. Cameron is three years old, and we are on a boat being chased by sharks on our way to the bank because he says that we are on a boat being chased by sharks on our way to the bank. So that's the way it is. And I understand this because I remember when I was his age. Imagination was not a concept, but a way of life. If I wanted to see the ocean, then I saw the ocean. Not my backyard, not the scent of lawn clippings or my mother calling me in for dinner. I could smell the salt water, hear the cries of seagulls, feel the rush of waves racing past me every single day. I built castles on the sun, won the Grand Prix on my big wheel, defended the moon against the aliens. I discovered America and drank Kool-Aid with Jesus. Y'all got me to thank for being alive today because I saved this human race every afternoon. I fought the Decepticons, Joker and Penguin. I kicked their asses. But now... Now it is Tuesday night and the sun is setting. Cameron is waving his arms in these big, wild circles, turning the sharks into dolphins, swimming backstroke through tall blades of grass. And what am I doing? All I ever do is work, hit the bar when I'm done, watch the news when I can find the time. And I wonder when I lost it, when did I finally sell my soul to this reality? I'm checking for my keys and my driver's license again, getting ready for work. They've got me on the midnight shift tonight. You get what you get because you're born into life. A cobalt morning sky 
a fiery rising sun, your father's legal gun. You get what you get because you're born into life. A black trench coat, a sterile safe space, your mother's sweet face. And what have you done, my only son? I killed the school with my own bomb. I killed the school with my best friend. I killed it once, then twice again. I killed the school so dad could see the good little soldier he made of me. You get what you get because you're born into life. A black trench coat, an American dream, a haunted jail cell. You get what you get because you're born into life. A million dollar latch key, one all your own, stay home alone. And what have you done, my favorite child? I went to school for a while. I went to school just like you said. I stayed in school till they were dead. I went to school to fix what's wrong. I taught that school a brand new song. Fix what's wrong, fix what's wrong. The school will sing the dead man's song. So dad could see, so dad could see the good little soldier he made of me. Just like them, I tried to be but all they did was laugh at me, laugh at me, laugh at me. Now they're all dead like me. We were all the kids next door, the ones you didn't see before, and now you do, but it's too late, and we will never graduate. That's my face on TV, mother dear, come look at me. Because I was your favorite son, come and see what I have done. I tried to make my father proud. I took his gun and killed the crowd that laughed at me with ridicule. That is why I killed my school. You get what you get because you're born into life. Thank you. Langston for America. You, you, you Langston have impacted upon me like a meteor to the moon. You have carved and created a sense of compassion from within my consciousness, some of which I don't understand or love or love to hate or love to forget and not remember. I don't understand from my hands why I write what I do, why I am so often alienated by some, but others wish to accept me for who I am. Are we not of the same human race? Do I not have 46 chromosomes, 23 from my mother, 23 from my father? And if we go back far enough, we are descendants from something far greater than which we understand. We wish aliens to come down to visit us, yet we alienate ourselves amongst each other. Must everything be classified and coded within the Dewey Decimal System? I really don't think she understands or love, or love to hate, or love to forget and not remember. I don't understand from what I write, what I do, why I'm so often alienated by some, but others wish to accept me for who I am. Are we not of the same human race? Do I not have 46 chromosomes, 
23 from our mother, 23 from our father. If we go back far enough, we are descendants from something far greater than which we understand. We wish aliens to come visit us, yet we alienated ourselves amongst each other. Must everything be classified and coded within the Dewey Decimal System? Does this really help us? I feel it hurts us more in the end. Or love my race, my face, my glory for all of its beauty, its foundations. I want my ancestors to be part of me to know that their bloodshed was not in vain. I feel their pain, tears fall like little droplets in the rain. Tears of sadness, tears of madness, tears of gladness, tears of blue, tears of me, tears of you. Love to hate, what a juxtaposition of thoughts that brought us here, thoughts that brainwashed us today and yesterday against our free will. That is so eloquently stated in the Declaration of Independence that we hold these truths to be self-evident. I will not recite what Martin has already told you. I am not looking for a handout for retribution for slavery that personally did not encompass me, but culturally and historically it does. So where do we go from here, America? I love to forget the lies, cries, and sighs of my ancestors' eyes who struggled so much and received so little. Today we struggle less and receive so much more. Or how the state of Mississippi had over 40 legal lynchings in a year. But when I look into the mirror today, I see corporate crack. Capitalism cracked the stone, not only kills two birds with one stone, but kills the community, and my community is your community, it's America's community. But blacks kill more blacks today, what do we say? Man, we ain't make them a case. If you think banning guns is the answer, if you take away my second amendment, you might not stop with that one. Wake up, and smell the cannabis. America did not stop. No, she did not stop when my ninth grade friend Steve was shot down and paralyzed from the waist down, or my other cousin Demetrius was stabbed and killed by another cousin. No, ABC, no, CBS, no, CNBC ever came to mind with me. Damn, not even BET. I am sorry to say she had to feel my pain at Columbine High School, as I perch here, as a Sankofa bird does, Malcolm softly, soulfully, powerfully speaks to me and says, the chickens have come home to roost, my brother. The chickens have come home to roost. Thank you. the greatest freedom a woman can possess is in her hips. Where else can she find her balance, center herself, stand up straight, and walk like the queen she is? And where else can she place her hands in such a grand gesture of authority and command in one slight but swift move? And where else can he place his hands when he realizes he's being allowed the privilege of pulling you close? Where else can she strut with the grace of a peacock and still get her swerve on if need be? It is here her glory is manifest coupled with the ability to conceive life and subsequently push it out from between those hips. And when they told you, ooh, girl, them is childbearing hips, it was a compliment, a blessing, if you will, a way to pay tribute to the splendor of the glory of your womanhood that is all found within those hips. And it wasn't Helen's beauty that started the war in Troy. It was the sway of her hips through her grand court that made men want to fight for her. Cleopatra had only to saunter past Mark Anthony in some super sexy gank before he was willing to sacrifice all. 
And when Romeo gazed upon Juliet and declared, I never saw true beauty till this night. What he really meant was, damn, baby, I ain't never seen hips like those before. It's the hips that make men follow. It's the hips that make women envy. It's the hips that make the world go round. Baby, I've got hips that can hypnotize and charm a snake. Put a belly dancer to shame. Hip huggers, oh, hell no. Anything that touches these hips already hugs the abundance of God's gifts. These hips are jazz and springtime, wine and roses, the epitome of what hips should be. They are round and rolling, sleek and slender, big and small, sexy and sweet. Where else can you expect to find a woman's jewel but between those hips? With a gentle rock and a little roll, people are mesmerized by all that womanly wonder. Not just one, but two, and that is why I must swear to this. A woman can rock the boat, she can bring home the bacon, work beside a man, take care of the kids. She can change the world if she so chooses. But her greatest freedom lies within her hips. And she will use them to dance and groove and sway to the beat of that freedom and never, ever even break a sweat. Melanie Sanders. There are so many wishes traveling at speeds beyond the light that illuminates the paths we choose. We are hopeful, crossing our fingers, tossing pennies into the fountains that flow out of our secret longings. We want to believe our whispered promises in darkened bedrooms are heard by fate. We want to believe that what the future knows will wrap us in arms of security, comforting our shaking frames. We want to believe that it's going to get better on another day, in another town, somewhere other than where we are now, because now is the irony of rain falling at the moment we discovered love hidden behind the grandfather cloud and time ticking tricks us into thinking that we have forever escaping as we search for perfection's right moment waiting to unravel the meaning behind this instant the enchantment leaving flashes of what could have been seared into our memories our mantra becoming what if and repeating we reply what if failure waits patiently for insecurity to knock what if disappointment finds us and we descend into faithlessness what if we are mistaken our bodies fragile our bones brittle without belief our prayers fall silent on the frozen ground, our unfulfilled wishes cutting into the flesh of our fantasy. The daydreams that tempt us are only two heartbeats away, drumming out the rhythm of our desire. What if we are chasing time, trying to capture infinity? We want the ending to introduce the beginning before we take a chance on might be, because what if it isn't? Our mind's eye needs to realize that we are the creators controlling our destiny. You see, I want to believe that we are the magic we crave. I want to kiss the hand of possibility and ask divinity to dance. I want to hold my wishes close so if they start to slip away, I will know. And I will paint a mural of my purest desire in the hallways where doubt pretends that happy is impossibility. I will cover the walls of the rooms where confusion waits to distort our crystal vision, shattering hope into tiny shards. Using the fragments to mix the colors of our freedom, I will paint our chains invisible. 
As these liquid promises dip onto my body, my mural will encompass my lifetime, embracing every disappointment I face, holding me up, reminding me that sometimes we all need a reason to believe. In sixth grade, we kindled a new kind of religion, flocking like pigeons around a mobile metallic altar, the silvery dodge dart of Aaron Barnes' mom as she shopped for fish sticks at the Pathmark. We owned that parking lot, barking loud and brassy in the manner belonging only to boys on the brink of first beers and first kisses, boys still terrified of girls only because most of them were bigger. Hugged in the playful pluck of a tender spring wind, we puff labyrinthian theories like philosophers fresh popped from Plato's cavern, enraptured with the baptism of our no longer virgin emergence from our first movie attended without parents. With turned up collars and swagger, we relived the dark mystery of it, rewired the slick engine parts of it, hunkered shoulders and strutted like stallions daring to breach the cool palace of Kaniki and Zuko. The bubbling blood of our adolescence seemed to boil on the question of Olivia Newton-John. Was she hotter before or after her transformation to electric gussied vamp? With absolutely zero understanding of any correlation between temperature and the female body, we nonetheless unzipped a bag full of adjectives, sizzling, smoking, oh, burn you to the touch. I held out solo. Like Atticus Finch, I gripped public opinion and shook it. Pled case for hoop skirts and sweaters on porch swings, beseeching velvet tree leaves. Oh, ye fates, ye unkind mythic ancestors, chuckling round checkerboards, is there no reward, no salvation for the hopelessly devoted? My combatants snickered with the confidence of conmen. Yo, cutty slice, didn't you see those skin-tight pants? Weren't you watching that body shaking in the shake shack? Don't you dream of a girl who will snake her finger, beckon you charm like you're the one that I want? Ooh, hoo, hoo, honey. <laughs> Hard to resist that kind of logic. But somehow, with some mule-headed resolve I no longer possess, I held fast. And the argument unresolvable, the subject turned, as it always then turned to baseball cards. We flipped them like prayers on the hood of the Dodge. The glossy sheens of strikeout mystics and home run kings flitting blink fast, think fast through fingers. An era would later birth when I'd hunger more to wriggle a girl out of her halter top than to open a pack of tops all stars. But even as a senior in high school, I told my date I liked her better in a sweatshirt and ponytail than her prom dress. Needless to say, prom night didn't go well, but still, when I think of weddings, I imagine the woman I now love in a t-shirt and denim. The two of us unwrapping our vows with the thrill of 12-year-olds unsticking the glue from wax packages, unearthing a Hank Aaron, a Johnny Bench, a Yaz. The two of us rubbing our eyelids as if emerging from a movie, and I'll tell her, you're the one that I want. And she'll answer, I'm hopelessly devoted. And ooh-hoo-hoo, honey, will fly away in a Dodge Dart, like ski-bop, doo-wah-doo-wah, boo-wah-bam.
The other day I was getting coffee at the local Two Trendy Coffee House, just minding my own business when I received a snippy, unsolicited comment about my choice of flavored brew from the man behind the counter, to which I replied a simple reminder that I was to drink the coffee, he had only to make the coffee. At which point he said, ooh, you're a little sassy, aren't you? Sassy? Sassy is a dancing Spice Girl. Sassy is a magazine I read when I was 12 that had pictures of Johnny Depp and River Phoenix on the cover. Sassy is that girl in your ninth grade English class that wore black leggings with everything, even after they went out of style. Britney Spears is sassy. I am not sassy. I am black sassy and I am black sassy like sassy has never been sassy before. Black sassy is calling them when you feel like it and hanging up when you don't. Black sassy is reading I Know Why the Cage Bird Sings and Catcher in the Rye for yourself and not because the teacher told you it was required reading. Black sassy is, oh no you didn't, as opposed to, oh my god I can't believe you just did that! Black sassy is Granny's fried chicken, ain't Mary's collard greens, and having a cousin named Junebug. Black sassy is being articulate when insulting someone of a lower intellectual level than oneself, such as, you are in serious danger of receiving bodily harm from me because of your seemingly acute case of stupid. Black sassy is not Julia Roberts and Aaron Brockovich. It's Pam Greer and Jackie Brown, Coffee Brown. Hell, black sassy is brown because everybody knows that black is brown anyway, just like chocolate. Black sassy is to funky as fresh as to dope as cameo is to word up. Black sassy is in living color and not those really bad mid-1990s episodes of Saturday Night Live. Black sassy is the ability to roll your eyes whenever the mood strikes you. Black sassy is responding to that man on the corner who asked if he could get a piece of that with attitude instead of fear. Black sassy is knowing all the words to ice, ice, baby. Black Sassy is knowing deep down inside that LL was thinking of you when he wrote Around the Way Girl. Black Sassy is sporting last year's dress because you know you still look good. If I were in England, they'd call me a black saucy tart. But I'm not. I am in America, and I am good old-fashioned American black sassy. I am not sold in stores. There is no assembly required to the man behind the counter making my coffee, asking me if I'm a little sassy. Oh, hell no, I'm a whole lot of black sassy, and if that's too much black sassy for you to handle, then you can kiss my big black sass. That's Melanie Sanders from Grand Rapids. The mistake was innocent. No, really, I swear, it was only one mislearned word. And I remember in rehearsal, no one bothered to correct me. First grade, first communion, first steps toward that altar. The priest, he knew my mistake and asked me to recite those words anyways. I was six years old and trembling with my voice, sticking, slipping, buried by the back of my throat. I shut my eyes to push those words out. Our Father who aren't in heaven. The hush of heaven hit the room, followed by the fury of 500 lips laughing. I looked at the crowd, saw those saints all sinking my father's mouth, my mother's eyes. I remember my tiny heart was breaking. Why are they all laughing at me? 
I never questioned anything before that day. But those questions finally come. Sometimes they never stop. No limits, no boundaries, no borders to be broken by. Holy fire cleansing everything, nothing sacred. I watched the next two decades disintegrate. And as I grew older, as I grew up, me and heaven, we had this little falling out. The man who ran the place refusing to return my calls. But they tell me that an angel falls every day. And some of us, we find another way. Me, I became the blind man bleeding on borrowed time, knowing nothing but the need to believe in better things to come. And so I began searching for myself inside this poem, pulling prayers from the pressure of a pen. Because buried beneath this slide of rhythm and endless rhyme is the secret of the gatekeeper the metaphor of time that which is divine is the verse that lives within and falling further in is the way that I begin clawing out another route to God on this ascension of syllables this liberation of lines flowing free from the pen to eternity all converging on the core what I was what I will be inside a poem man is a poem the word became flesh with words I never stop rebuilding. What time never stops ruining and the pulse of existence is pressed across this page as this spirit begins expanding through the ink of human rage. It was written, I am written, and the word became flesh and my words become my flesh. And now I look out at this crowd and want nothing more than to remember Christ, to see my shape inside his wounds fully resurrected outside of prayer, just like a poem, but with each word perfectly pronounced pronounced salvation can't be far from here. whirls me out of sleep and as you unfurl your name and his and the desperate searching reason for your call I wonder why you are reaching through wires across a continent to someone you only know as the other woman a summertime smear on your happiness half a pair of word thieves who jimmied sparkling confidence out of you trusting me for truth instead of the man whose hair and heart do clutch with fear twisted fingers why you think my words now will grant you peace but your shaky stammer telling me that half of you wishes you landed my answering machine for the 27th time in four days reminds me of another Latino Gemini whose twins of self spun me into a frenzied mockery of the strength I believed braided itself through me and I remember hollowly that I have been you, sister. Fishing for truths in pockets among lint and loose change, greasy fear nestled in stomach, the weather and tremulous expectation of finding something or nothing you're not quite certain because even the most devastating something you can wrap shaking hands around, but nothing, Christ, that nothing always leaves you watching and wondering. But I follow the thread of time out of that labyrinthine darkness. True, I stumbled on snarls now and then because my old patterns had worn their sickly grooves deep into my insecurities until the afternoon that I sat in the spill of an airport bar, tipping beers with a sodden and grasping writer whose word tricks had charmed me, and I finally looked my hollowness of the past few years in the eye, put him on a plane without a backward glance, turned my back on chance encounters with men who spin musical melancholy, mourning with fevered relief the fact that I was at long last empty of the emptiness that had filled me for so long, and came home. To the man who tells me I sound like Magnolia's smell, but who more importantly never makes me watch or wonder, never cripples me with insecurity until I find myself dialing some other woman because maybe she can give me the why that he can't. And in turn I gave him the truth when I returned to his solidity, 
as we sat in lamplit twilight in my car and bared our scars for each other. The addictions that sent us balancing along the tight ropes of our pasts, not treading them timidly, but racing along them frantically, clutching fistfuls of broken glass, daring to cut ourselves in the, in the inevitable fall and never dreaming that we would actually survive, let alone find ourselves safe and rid of the demons of our fears. These are the things I want to say to you. Pour them into the hum of the waiting phone line. I want to give you all of this so that you will know that I have been where you are and I know it is the queasiest of darknesses. So you will feel the truth of my words, as warm and as solid as the life I have found at the end of my tightrope, assuring you that I am finished with picking up the shiny temptings that nestle in another woman's velvet because I have true treasures now. So relax. Hang up the phone. You're safe. That's Carrie from right. Besides for being a poet, I also want to be a singer. I've got a hard on. I can't take it. Please let me hit it. Oh, baby. Ooh. Shit, I've got a heart on. I want to be a new school R&B superstar. When my words split my lips, I sound so cool, everybody would think I slept with ice cubes in my drawers. <laughs> I'll do interviews with my eyes half closed and take myself more serious than a mental patient who thinks she's a pope. I want to be a new school R&B Superstar, clench my fists and fall to my knees. Let the veins protruding from my skull confirm that I'm serious about my lyrics that would be impressive at fifth grade recess. I wanna write a million songs about twisted love and work hard to sound like everybody else on the radio. I wanna be a new school R&B superstar. I'll dance better than I sing and look better than I dance. <laughs> I'll be a renaissance man whose first, second, and third love is money. I'll feel superior to pornography when all I write is pornography. I'll be an artist who don't like art. I wanna be a new school R&B superstar. I sleep with my sunglasses on, satin sheets and silk drawers, balls on ice twice as nice. Some people say three, but I'll say thrice. Roll a dice and throw some rice at last. Baby, 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 please let me hit that ass. Because if you didn't know, I've got a heart on. I can't take it. Please let me hit it. Oh, baby, ooh, shit. I've got a hard on. Would you believe I write my own lyrics? <laughs> but yo, check it, before I get out of here, I would like, just like every other superstar, I would like to thank my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, for making it all possible. <laughs> 
Don't let me bore you with the things that I think we all agree on. That the World Bank, North American Free Trade Association, World Trade Organization, Organization of American States, G7 corporate masters are the oppressive state. Global warming, mad cow, pandemics, sustained development, declining water stores, and nuclear waste. Yeah. Doesn't it seem like we've been shitting in the living room for a long time now? <laughs> I think we can all agree on that one. I did not come all this way to pat folks on the back, feed the egos of the righteous, or relieve the guilt of soccer moms. Damnation's just another street corner drug, and wine and wafers never kept the blood off the ladies' hands, and wagging fingers never changed how they treat revolutionaries in China and America. The queer kid in Wyoming, the black man in Brooklyn, the Palestinian, Jew, Armenian, the way they treat global colonial expansionism, AIDS in Africa, Falun Gong in Tibet, the Iraqi people, overfishing, clear-cutting, strip-mining, landfills, and coal-fired electric plants. And I think we can all agree that the highway gets crowded more and more every day. Buildings, homes, cars, billboards, people shake and shout until I just have to slam on the brakes, get out of the car, and stand like any good politician right there in the middle of the road with my hands on my hips and ask, what good is freedom of speech when everyone's talking and no one's listening? Better yet, what good is freedom of speech when I got nothing to say? Which, by the way, has never been my problem. <laughs> ask anybody who knows me and they know that I can prattle on for hours and hours, hours and hours, hours and hours, hours. And the mantra, life is suffering, becomes trite when I say it. I put phrases together like live wires to jumpstart my heart. I stand knee deep in copper and insulation and still nothing moves me. Call it narcissism, call it being spoiled, call it being an American, call it words to strike together like Flintstones because I have no fire and I get no comfort from the things we all agree on. The police, the oppressive state, colonialism, environmental justice, human rights, dignity, Jerusalem, no justice, no peace. Scott Klein. Yeah, I want to testify about those hours and hours that I've spent with Scott Klein. Getting of a giant. Say shit about the way I watched you sucking down that cherry cola with the moist spot growing between my velvety thighs. Uh, velvety thighs? I can't say velvety thighs. If I made a reference to staring hard at your firm buttocks, you would despise me. But if I had a vagina, I could say moist slacks. <laughs> and the gigolos at the bar would cream their pants. But if I say moist slacks without the vagina, you people would kick my ass. <laughs> that does it. I'm getting a vagina. 
When I get my vagina, I'm going to have a one-hour orgasm at the ribbon-cutting ceremony. And I'm not going to mount my vagina between my legs like everybody else does. No. I'm going to have it riveted to my chest so I can watch it quivering beneath my wife Peter tank top. And I'm not going to write any goddamn vagina poetry either. I'm just going to press it up to the microphone and let it purr. All eligible suitors will have to crawl on their hands and knees through shredded asbestos and broken beer bottles to approach my vagina. And they will speak like little girly boys. Uh, hello, Mr. Bliss's uh, vagina, sir. Um, could he uh, buy a drink for your vagina, sir? And my vagina will roar back at them. Piss off, you dirty little fuckers. <laughs> well, I compare my vagina to every other vagina walking through that front door. When I get my vagina, I'll tell you one thing. You people are not getting near it. I will hiss and sway and stroke and pout and shake my ass and bray like a goat and go home and put it back in my nice shining chrome box. And if by some chance of cruel fate, I become the National Poet Laureate, I will decree that all vaginas everywhere be sewn shut so that my vagina is the only vagina that can be heard. And then when my testosterone-diseased body tragically rejects my vagina, dying a horribly, excruciatingly painful, shuddering man-like death. Large pupil children will come to bring baskets of flowers to lay at the base of my monument on the mall in Washington, D.C. And George W. Bush will rise every morning, scratch his ass in a second-story bay window, roll his parcheesy dice to say, eh, the one who's going to be in charge today, <laughs> then bask in the glory of a 300-foot-high monument erected commemorating my luscious, heaving, moaning, snapping, quivering, Holy Mary, Mother of God-endorsed, Goddess of the Immaculate grafting. Uh, Mr. Bliss's vagina, can we buy you another beer? Yes, Clement, yes, vagina! Greg Bliss and his vagina. I know, you want to know what that has to do with me, right? Let me show you my surgical scar. All right. There really is a nice one. It's nice. I shave it. <laughs> I can't believe I said that on camera. All right. Scores up, please. And everything else. All right. Oh, the invisible one here in front. Is that a good one? That's a good one. All right. I got a 9.9. .9, a 9.8. A 10, a 10, a 10. That's a 29.9. A mere 29.9 for Greg Bless's vagina. Tracy, you going to come down here and do the awards? Yeah. Big, big, big round of applause for Tracy Smith and all the work he's done to put this good time together. Big round of applause. It's been a headache for him, but it's been a joy for us. Did y'all have fun? Right on. That means we got to do this shit again. Right on. I want a big round of applause for the KZU Slam team for helping me out, especially Dan. 
Dan Stevens, wherever he is, for poking me and prodding me for years. Let's do an Invitationals, man. Let's host the Nationals. Let's, 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 let's. So we threw a little party, and it was fun. Uh, I don't know how much money we got here. We got 85 bucks. Let's see here. One. Bottom. Uh, sound, uh, you wrote them down and everything? Uh, uh, uh. Oh, oh, uh, uh, uh. oh, and another 20. We're going to have to count that later. <laughs> and uh, we will divvy it up among the following poets give them a great big hand and let's have them come right up here up front and take a bow if i am not mistaken let's see oh my god we've got matt olsman with a 28.9 and in first place from grand rapids michigan with a 29.9, Greg Bliss and his beautiful vagina! All right. We have a slam and an open mic every Tuesday night. This Tuesday, yeah, right on! Yes, yes, Buddy Wakefield is coming in on June something or other, 18th, 19th. He does, he does. But this week, uh, we will have an open mic for all of you that didn't get a chance to get involved. You get to come and sign up and do your own poetry. Yeah. And we'll applaud for you too. And we'll have the songstress, Miss Michelle Peters here on Tuesday. Anybody who can make it, please be here. Stay, party with us, drink beer, drive safe buy stuff. There's poet stuff back there. Good night. Okay? Good night. always whine about their best. Winners go home and fuck the prom queen.